Good morning, everyone. So good to see you on this uh, Thanksgiving after weekend. My name is Don. I'm able to be here every now and again to uh, share some time with God's Word. And this is one of my favorite times of the year because um, as you get done with Thanksgiving, you may have said like me, I don't know if anybody who said this, I am so blessed. Anybody say that at Thanksgiving? I am so blessed. And, um, and usually when we say that, we, we are counting our blessings, we're counting the things we have with people around us, and, um, and it's, it's so true. Christmas stretches that a little bit because Christmas reminds us of giving and of the gift that comes to us through Jesus and that we are blessed in order to be a blessing. And that, yes, we are blessed because of all that we have, but there's a greater blessing in how we use what we have to share God's love and to make a difference in people's lives. And today we're going to look at a verse of scripture, a parable of scripture that a lot of scholars say is one of the most difficult ones to just get your head around. It's, it's upside down from the way that Jesus often teaches. And so we get to... Uh, we get to turn upside down. So if you need to like sit upside down to hear this, that's, that's fine. But um, probably better just stay where you're at. If you have your Bibles, Luke 16, you can find this on the screen as well. Jesus told his disciples, there was a rich man whose manager was accused of wasting his possessions. So he called him in and asked him, what is this I hear about you? Give an account of your management because you cannot be manager any longer. The manager said to himself, what shall I do now? My master's taken away my job. I'm not strong enough to dig and I'm ashamed to beg. I know what I'll do so that when I, I lose my job here, people will welcome me into their homes, their houses. So he called on each one of his master's debtors. And he asked the first, how much do you owe my master? 800 gallons of olive oil, he replied. The manager told him, take your bill, sit down quickly, and make it 400. Then he asked the second, how much do you owe? A thousand bushels of wheat, he replied. He told him, take your bill, make it 800. The master commended the dishonest manager because he had acted shrewdly. For the people of this world are more, are more shrewd in dealing with their own, their own kind than are the people of light. I tell you, use your worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves so that when it's gone, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. Whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. Whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. So if you've not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with the true riches? And if you've not been trustworthy with someone else's property, who will give you property of your own? No servant can serve two masters. Either he will hate one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to one and despise the other. 
You cannot serve both God and money. That parable of scripture is found in your journal on the very last chapter. Can you believe it that we've gone through the whole journal? Finally made it. Began the 1st of August and now we're here at this end. And, and you expect a big grand finale and you come to a parable like that and you start to scratch your head and you go, what, what was that all about? This rich guy, this outrageously rich guy, so rich that he has more um, with, of those in debt to him with so much out there that we can't, even, we can't even fathom how much people owe him. And he has managers, stewards, that manage all his assets and collect all the bills. He has one manager he's a little concerned about. <clears throat> Reports have come in that this guy is, is maybe not on the up and up. He's not doing a good job. And so in, the, in his kind-hearted way, he looks at him in the eye and he says, you're fired. The guy's devastated. What am I going to do? Oh, no. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm qualified for two things. I can dig holes and I can beg. I don't want to dig holes. I'm not strong enough. This is a white-collar worker. I'm not going to go out and dig holes. And I'm embarrassed to beg. Thinks about it a little bit and he goes, oh, I got an idea. I'm going to act so shrewdly that what I do is going to prepare a future for me. Goodwill, people are going to maybe even look after me, and if I get to the point I'm homeless, they'll maybe open their home to me. So he starts to go to the debtors and he says, uh, How much do you owe? Well, I owe 800 gallons of olive oil. 800 gallons. I tell you what, this is a good Friday deal. It's good for today and only today. <laughs> Cut that in half. 400. It's not good for tomorrow. You do it right now. No problem. I'll do it. I love you, man. I love you. Hey, if you need anything, anytime, give me a call. Here's my card. Hey, if you need a house to stay in for a while, hey, I'm, I'm there. All right. Can you imagine what it would be? I mean, they said basically that 800 gallons of, of olive oil is, is about a year to maybe even three years wages. I mean, we think like Costco olive oil where you just go in and there's this, you know, bins and bins of olive oil. They had to like collect every little itty bitty olive, you know, shake the trees and gather them together and go up there and pick them and all that kind of stuff and squeeze every little bitty olive just, I mean, just the labor-intensive work of, of trying to get a gallon of olive oil would be amazing, but 800 gallons saves them 400 of them. 1,000 bushels of wheat, that's a lot of work. All the time it takes to plant the wheat, to water it, and then when it comes time to harvest it, using a sickle, and you gather it together, and you thresh the grain, and... You take it and you, you throw it up in the air and the wind blows the chaff and you gather it together. I mean, just, just to, to get one bushel of wheat would be so hard. Continue on and on and on. I love you, man. You, took, you cut it down to, to, eight, to 800. 
Anything you need, anything you need, buddy, anything you need. You need a place to stay, my house is open. Just about the time you're raising your eyebrow, here's the kicker. He gets commended for what he did. Wow. And Jesus uses this as an example. What do you do with a story like that? Jesus uses this as, as an example. He says, hey, just check out these guys. The people of the world, this world, they're more shrewd in the way they deal with their own kind than the people of the light. Take notice. It's like, okay, Jesus, after all this love, you know, everybody, and be kind, and be gracious, and be truthful, and don't lie, and don't, now you're saying wherever you are, whoever you are, wherever you work, whatever you do, lie, cheat, steal, and be deceitful, and you got it. Hey, I think I can do business like that, Jesus. <laughs> That's not the message. Please don't hear that. He is not in any way, shape, or form commending the dishonesty, but he's using, as one commentator says, a bad example for a good illustration. He's saying, hey, would you notice how the world treats their affairs? That no matter what comes, when they realize that things are drying up where they're at, they're off into the next step, they're planning to the future, they're shrewd, they're prudent, they're wise, they're, they're strategic in what they're doing, they know where they want to go. They know how they need to get there. They'll do anything to get there. But the people of light, we seem to not, we seem to just live for the moment. We don't even think about that future and about what we know that they don't even know, that the future doesn't end here on earth, that the future is for eternity. So Jesus is saying, I want to I commend them. I want to commend the world on how shrewd they are and I want to offer that to you that maybe we should be just that way. And he says this, I tell you in verse 9, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves so that when it's gone, you will be welcomed into, the, into eternal dwellings. Use your worldly wealth to gain friends, to influence friends, to invest in friends. So that when that worldly wealth is all gone, you'll be welcomed into an eternal dwelling. Here's the point. How do, we, how do we look at our wealth and use it in strategic, kingdom strategic ways? Jesus is saying. How can, how can we look? Well, here's, here's a first value. People are greater than possessions. People are more valuable than possessions. Our world lives for possessions. We went through Thanksgiving and when we think blessed, a lot of us think about all the possessions that we have or all the wonderful home and the good food. and we, we are, We're geared toward possessions. But he says, I wanna just tell you something. That will be gone one of these days. Your worldly wealth, use it to gain friends because People are greater than possessions so that when those possessions are gone, when your resources are gone, when your wealth is gone, you've got something to show. He doesn't say if your wealth is gone, if those things are gone, but when. Most of us a few years ago thought that would never happen, but now it's pretty easy to see that that, 
that wealth is slipping pretty quick. <laughs> you fill your gas tank up lately? You try to buy some groceries lately? But whether whatever happens to the economy, and it goes up and down, and there's all kinds of reasons, and I don't want to even get there. This you need to know, one of these days, it will be gone. You can't take it with you to the next level of life. You can't take it with you to eternity. In fact, Jesus said, in a couple chapters earlier this, he tells a parable of the, of, the, of the farmer who's got so much coming in, everything's prosperous, things are just booming, and he's just filling up barn and, and room after room and room and room, and, he, and he, he fills one barn completely up so much so that he has to build another barn, and he fills that barn up too, and he just, like, is this ever going to stop? And, and Jesus halts the story and just says, you're a fool, because today your life is required of you. Today you're going to die. And you're not taking anything in that barn with you. Possessions don't make it into eternity. You can't take your house with you. You'll have a better house up there. You don't need to take your car with you. Probably going to fly. So you don't need that. You just, you're not taking any of your treasures. It's all staying back here. and Your kids are going to fight over it and throw most of it away or give it away or whatever. You can't take it with you. One of these days, it's going to be all gone. Jesus said earlier in the, in the Sermon on the Mount, don't store up treasures here on earth where moth will come in and destroy it and rust and corrosion, and, but store your treasures up in heaven where there are no moths and no rust, no corrosion. Well, what's he talking about? If you can't... Take anything with you. If your treasures all stay here, what in the world, how do you lay treasures up in heaven? I think from this passage of scripture would suggest people are greater than possessions. Why? Because people are the only thing you can take to eternity with you. People. So invest in people. Use your wealth to influence people. Make friends, have good relationships with people that they might somehow see Jesus in you and then when the time comes and we're all in heaven together, they're gonna look around and they're gonna, they're gonna, they're gonna, they're gonna rejoice with you because they're in heaven because of your investment. I mean, just think about what heaven would be like. I mean, the first five minutes in heaven, it's just gonna blow your head. You're just... Everything, the, the beauty of it, the un, unbelievable grandeur, the splendor, seeing God, walking with Jesus, all these Bible characters, people that have gone on before. Somewhere along the line in all that eternity, I imagine you'll, 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 you'll start to dawn on you. You'll see people and you'll go, you know what? I'm here because so-and-so, that guy right there, told me about Jesus. Maybe it was a Sunday school teacher when you were a kid. Maybe it was somebody at camp. Maybe it was one of the pastors up here that spoke a sermon and, it, and God just got a hold of you. Maybe it was in the music or something and, and God just got a hold of you. Maybe it was somebody that prayed for you and prayed for you and prayed for you. And then when you just, when you recognize that person, you just, you, you talk about Thanksgiving. Oh man, thank you. Thank you for believing in me. Thank you for caring for me. Thank you for telling me about Jesus. Thank you for showing me Jesus. Thank you for helping me grow up in this whole thing called Christianity. Thank you. I'm here because of you. That'd be great. That's the welcome that he's talking about. Wouldn't it even be 
immensely more great for someone to come up to you and go, I'm here in heaven because of you. Because of you. Wouldn't that be unbelievable? I'm here because of you. You cared for me. You prayed for me. You shared Jesus with me. You invested in me. You befriended me. You took me in. You helped me along the way. You mentored me. You walked with me. You invited me. You gave to ministries that I received from. I thank you because I'm here because of you. I think that's the the greatest thought. Jesus says, you look at our world, they're always planning ahead what's the next step. People of the light, believers, all we care about is if I can somehow get to heaven on my own. And Jesus is saying, yes, that's great. I want you to get to heaven, but I don't want you to get to heaven on your own. I want you to bring somebody with you. I want you to bring somebody with you. Don't go to heaven alone. Bring somebody with you. Invest in them. Buy their friendship for eternity. You'll be thanking, you'll be thanking yourself. You'll be, you'll be thanked by them for doing that. So what does that mean practically when you, when you lay that all out? What does that mean? Here's a question I want you to consider. Are you using your resources, your wealth, your money, your finances, are you using your resources to win people to Christ? Are you using what God's blessed you with to bless others, to populate heaven? We talk about, in Mount Park, at Mount Park all the time, realize your role in God's story. What's God's story? God's story is that he wants none to perish, all to come unto him. He doesn't want anybody to go to eternity without him. And the amazing thing is, he wants you and me to partner with him in that. That, that we are sharing his story. Our, our involvement in his story is to, to take that story to others. Now, we are in this thing called a transition period. Have you noticed that? There, there's not a lead pastor right now. It's getting closer, I'm sure. I mean, one of these days, they're going to make this announcement and you're going to all cheer and yell and scream. Here, here's, what I, here's what I want for you. Here's what I want for your new pastor. That pastor comes in here, they look at you, and you say, Pastor, glad you're here. Now you can do all the work because we're tired. No. Glad you're here, Pastor, but I want you to know we've got a church full of ministers. Full-time ministers. I mean, we're in all kinds of vocations, all kinds of walks of life, doing all kinds of things, but we are all sold out for him, and we don't want to do anything less than populate heaven with everybody we can, and we're doing everything we can. If it's Marriage Mondays, if it's 
uh, hope groups, if it's, if it's worship team, if it's working with the children, working with the teenage, whatever, if it's if homeless people, if it's going out and, and, and going on a mission trip, we're, we're in this. You have a church full of ministers. Let's go. Let's take this, this nation for you. Let's take this neighborhood for you. Let's take this family for you. Pastor, let's go. And God would be smiling on you going, yes. And every time you sit here and you go, man, it's taken a little while for us to get a lead pastor. I want you to hear this. God's looking at you going, man, it's taking a little time for these guys to get the idea that they're not just spectators in this thing. They are part of my story. They're ministers. This church is on the move to shake the world for Christ, and he wants you to do it. The most prized possession in the world is people. We come into the Christmas season to celebrate the birth of Jesus who came to live and to teach but to die on a cross to give it all up for people. God so loved people that he gave Christ his only begotten son. Mountain Park so loved people that they were all in rolling up their sleeves I wondered this Christmas season who can you who can you share Christ with who can you invite here's an easy thing to do invite somebody for Christmas Eve services invite maybe take them out use your wealth take them out to lunch or meet them afterwards have a Christmas party and just say, hey, would, would you come? You're thinking, ooh, 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 that's a little, ooh, Don, what are you talking about? Do you know that Christmas Eve is the, the biggest day to be able to invite people to church and they'll say yes in our whole calendar year, more than Easter? They say one in four people that you'll invite will come. On Christmas Eve, I think it's more than that. It's amazing. People would love to come to Christmas Eve. What are there, three services on Christmas Eve? Let's pack this place out. Wouldn't it be great for you to sit there and look across the, the, the aisle or across the seat and that person's there because you invited them? Wouldn't it be even greater when eternity is upon us and you look across heaven and that person's there because you invited them to Christmas Eve and they invited Christ into their life and they're there because of you? Use what you have. Use your resources. Are you using your resources to help win Christ, win people to Christ? You got this little global ministries and local outreach project partners. There's going to be a, a uh, an offering on December 12th. Wouldn't it be wonderful that this month is the month we use our resources to reach people, to reach people for for Jesus, so that one of these days, because you gave. When you're up in heaven, there's going to be somebody from Mexico and somebody from India and somebody from Lebanon and somebody from Honduras and somebody from Cuba, and they're going to say, I'm here because of you, and you're going, oh, I don't even know who you are for certain. No, when you gave to the ministries to reach people, it reached my life, and I'm here. Paul, when he's talking about in Philippians, the fourth chapter, he's in jail and he's, he's witnessing to the Praetorium Roman guards. 
And they're coming to, they're coming to Jesus. He's, he's bringing people in the Roman Empire to Jesus. And he thanks the Philippians in the letter and he says, thank you for all you've done to give and, and to support me. The fruit that you sent may abound into your account, he said. The fruit may abound into your account. I'm doing the work, Paul says, but the fruit is abounding in your account, not just my account, in your account because you, you gave. We can do things collectively what we cannot do individually. We can do things as a church that we cannot do individually. The reach is far, farther and greater and grander. What are you doing to use your wealth, your worldly wealth and your resources and your time to help win some people to Christ? Second thing is, not only are people greater than possessions, stewardship or management is greater than ownership. If you look at verse 10, there's some words that are repeated over and over and over again. Whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. If you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will, you, who will trust you with true riches? Verse 12, he continues to say, if you're not trustworthy with someone else's property, who will give you property on your trust, 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 trust? What's he saying? He's saying that God owns everything and he entrusts us with, that, with everything. We don't own it. We're managers of it. We're stewards of it. We're entrusted with it. And there's going to be a day that he asks you, what did you do with what I gave you? He's going to ask us to be accountable with his, his entrusting to us. And, and he's basically saying, faithful people will be faithful people, whether it's little or a lot. Some people, I've heard it, I've been in, in pastoring long enough. I've heard it. Once, once the big deal comes in, Pastor, I'm going to tell you, once a big deal comes in, that church is going to get a bunch of money. Oh, yeah? It's because it's not coming in from you now with a little bit of money. Oh, but, oh, Pastor, if I ever win the lottery, if I ever win the lottery, let me tell you, there will be no more worries around here. You see why I'm cynical? I've heard that for 40 years. You're going, well, you don't know me. I don't know you, but... Jesus does, and he says this, if you're faithful in little things, you'll be faithful in the larger things. If you're not faithful in the little things, you're not going to be faithful in the larger things. And I entrust this to you. I entrust this to you to be used. Then he says, no servant can serve two masters. You'll either hate one love the other, but nobody can serve both God and money. No one can serve both. They're diametrically opposed. They're diametrically opposed. You can use money, but you got to love God. We have a tendency to love money and want to use God. They're diametrically opposed. Money says, get, 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 get. God says, give, give, give. Money says, it, what, number one is numero uno only. Nobody else is going to, if you don't look out for yourself. God says, love your neighbor as yourself. It's, it's hard. It's impossible to serve both. He owns it all. And he says, 
Would you be manager and steward? Would you, would you use it? But I, let me just tell you, I, what Lori and I have found, because we give percentage-wise so that you don't have to try to figure this whole thing out, but um, we give percentage-wise because God can do better with 90%, help us do better with 90% than we do with 100%. And we divvy it out. There's a little video I want to show you before we close that talks about how God is the owner and we're the stewards. Take a look. Oh, I couldn't. Well, maybe just a bite. Get the interest. the pie. the pie, he says. He owns it. He gives us the pie. Use it. But would you give back into his story what's going to make an eternal difference with people? And in doing so, it really becomes a heart issue. Ownership and stewardship is a heart issue. Lordship, we love you, Lord. You are Lord of our life. But man, it's tough to keep him that way. I, I accepted Christ in my life very young age. I never questioned, 
whether my sins are forgiven, whether I'm going to heaven. I, I know that. I know it's all by grace. I know it's a gift. I love Christmas. I love Easter to celebrate that. I love the Lord's Supper. But I've got to tell you, it's a constant struggle with the lordship issue. I got to revisit that a lot. And you know what? Constantly I fall, I fall short with my finances. So my question is, with the lordship, with the lordship of Jesus, is it reflected in your finances? If somebody's going to look at, at, our, at our wealth, at our checkbook, at our bank account, would they say, well, yeah, Jesus must be your Lord. Paul says, be a living sacrifice. Present yourself a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable. A living sacrifice. The only problem with being a living sacrifice, we keep crawling off the altar. We keep crawling off the altar. It's a heart issue. Jesus, your Lord, be Lord of everything and let it reflect in what I do with what you've given me so that what I'm blessed with, I can be a blessing to others. Let's stand together. Worship team's gonna come out and sing. We're gonna sing one more song. It talks about hope as we finish this series on hope. The greatest hope that we have for ourselves and the greatest hope the world has is that Jesus Christ is Lord. This Christmas season, let's make him the Lord of our lives. Maybe you need to revisit that today and just pray with me. Lord Jesus, come into my heart. I know you're there already, but in my heart, I want to enthrone you as Lord. So that this Christmas season, I look at it differently because I look at my blessings as something that you've given me not only to enjoy, but to be blessings to others. I look at heaven not only as a destination for myself, but to bring others. And so, Lord Jesus, reign and rule in me starting today. Again, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.